This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. They just kept saying that if we stand together, lock our arms together, they're not going to attack us. Six or seven o'clock, the lights went out and the army came, started to shoot, people died. Welcome to Imperial Voice, coming to you as if from Fairfield House, Bath. This is In Our City. I'm William Heath. And today in our city, we are travelling out of Bath and to Lagos in Nigeria to look at the recent NSARS protest in Nigeria, my birth country, which culminated in what is now known as the Lekki Massacre which rather gruesomely for me was on the same day as my birthday, 20th of October, 2020. To rapidly bring some of our listeners up to speed, a protest started online with the hashtag NSARS, sweeping through the nation, taking the establishment and foreign observers by surprise. Our guests today are three remarkable people closely involved in the anti-SARS protests, Leilani, Ugonna and Odwola from Lagos in Nigeria. Thank you for joining us. It's really wonderful that we can sit here in Bath and reach out to you and hear, you know, from your direct experience to what's been going on, which has just been like a distant, distant news piece to us. And it's very hard to get the reality of it. When we read about SARS in Britain, we, we just think of a disease. And it seems in Nigeria, it's sort of a different kind of disease. Do you want to just explain to us what the whole NSARS thing is about and how long it's been going on. Leilani, would you kick us off on that? Um, sure. Thank you for that, William. So um, SARS stands for the Special Anti-Robbery Squad. Um, it was created to protect the citizens um, from armed robbery. Um, and this took place in 1992, I believe. So unfortunately, what's been going on is these officials have been linked to crimes against civilians, um, including murder, blackmail, kidnapping, um, they extort money from people, just harassing um, civilians, especially the youth. Um, I don't know if uh, Odwola or Gona want to add more to it. I'm sure I'll jump in. I, I think something that's important to note was that when they were, um, I guess, founded, it was at a time where there was this sort of really high crime rate and they felt as though the local police force wasn't enough to um, to curtail all of the violence. And, and so they'd sort of given them almost a free reign to uh, do what, whatever was necessary to, you know, to get the, uh, the criminals. So I, I don't believe they really had uh, uniforms that were easily identifiable. And, you know, a lot of their tactics were sanctioned. So, you know, that was the basis on which they were founded. And that has just snowballed um, into the crisis that we have now. And that's why it's hard to sort of reprimand them for um, essentially doing what they were you know, told to do, started to do. You know, interestingly enough, I, um, in some of the sort of background research I did on it, um, I found out that they were trained by the British forces. Um, so they, I know. Sorry, uh, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Um, and, um, you know, so some some people in defence say, well, you know, they, they might have given them a start, but then they've taken it to different places. But ne nevertheless, it's quite interesting to look and think, okay, the genesis of, or, or their styles are rooted in sort of British um, tactics. 
So Oduowa is that is that you know I'm a Nigerian, so please you know slap me and let me know if I'm not pronouncing it right. It's okay. Oduola. Yeah. Oduola. Oduola. Please forgive me. We've had protests against SARS for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it really took off this time? Um, one, there was the power of social media that really um, just fueled the conversation and allowed everyone from everywhere to, you know, chip in and just share why they were angry at how long this has been going on for. But then the, we just had enough. And it started off as the inside, you know, protest. But um, very, very quickly, it was, it was, it became clear that it was more than that. It was not just stars that were trying to end. It was the bad governance that even led to stars becoming what they what they currently are. And the bad governance that allowed stars continue to operate, even though there have been series of protests and series of calls for the disbandment of that um, police force. That's what we were really protesting about. Again, we were protest- protesting against the bad governance that has just turned a complete blind, blind eye to um, a police force operating with impunity, much like the government that it's representing. Could I ask a question about that? Is it a is it a sort of party political thing? I mean, this this police force has been going for decades, and there's been complaints for decades, and I can see that Nigerians have been protesting, and amnesty reports have been very very negative about it. But do do both the main political parties do they sort of tolerate SARS? Do they even benefit from SARS? Do they do they like to have this slightly unaccountable, unregulated police force on their side. Absolutely. There's no, SARS is, a, it's a mirror reflection of the government that put it there. The government that put SARS there is the same today that it's been for the past, what, um, 50 years. We're still recycling the same old leaders that we continue to have. They've just changed their clothes. So from being military um, heads of states, we now have the same men in civilian clothes. So SARS really just looks like the government that has put it in place, corrupt, um, running rampant without impunity, um, no regard for the civilians and for the citizens that they're supposed to be protecting. Again, just looks like the government. Okay, Ugona, I'd like to sort of put this question to you. I'm looking at the three of you and you look very much to me like, you know, professional middle-class women. Um, We could explore your backgrounds in a minute. But the whole protest has been denoted by the government as like a a youth thing um, with this sense that it's all sort of disaffected, um, 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 what's the word, Um, people who are not vested in the system, just troublemakers. In truth, can you tell us what the composition of the protest is or, or was? Yes, um, I can. So it's much like um, Odola said, because of social media, there has been this interconnectedness, right? We were able to see that we're all affected and we are all united to um, to protest against this. So it has, it's not even, it, it, of course it is the youth that energized it, that, that got out on the streets first, but there are people of all ages and, you know, all socioeconomic statuses out there, you know, um, out there on the street, behind the scenes, organizing. So it is not, it is because traditionally uh, it has been just, you know, uh, a younger demographic, a more disenfranchised demographic that gets on the street uh, protesting. And it's easy to dismiss the protesters in that way. And I don't, believe that the government was expecting it to be such a united front this time around. And I think that's why we're getting such um, such a violent response to it. I do think that they do feel this is different this time. And I think that they understand that there is a real threat this time once we all come together uh, to protest and fight in this way. So. It's, it's a narrative that they're trying to sell. You know, it's the, it's the hoodlum narrative, right? It's the looters and, and it's, it's the, the kids on the street as though this is a trivial matter, but that's not the truth at all. There are so many people from all walks of life that are united and are still doing the work 
we may not be on the streets anymore, but we're still doing the work to dismantle these systems that they've set up. There's something I don't get here, and that is, I mean, Nigeria is an incredibly young country, isn't it? And if you're the government of a young country and half the population is under 18, and you try and dismiss something as a kind of a youth protest, you're really saying it's a Nigerian protest, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're, you're... you're, suggest- you're showing you're so out of touch in a democracy, you know, with the majority of your population. Could I ask just a non-technical point? You've, you've made uh, between you several references to social media. Which are the key social media channels that are really working for organizing? Leilani, could I ask you that? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, I would say Instagram has, has been very, very effective. Um, I think a lot of uh, the younger Nigerians are constantly on Instagram. So that has worked really well. Uh, I believe Facebook as well um, and Twitter. So mm. those three have, have made an impact. Are you concerned that those um, social media allow people to be sort of traced and, and, and surveyed? I mean, I think there are good ways to reach out, but it's very hard to, to, to sort of hide your activity, I think, on those, on those platforms, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so that is the case. Um, some people are being traced um, and they're actually threatening the government is threatening um, people who are posting uh, these things, um, but I believe we are not going to be deterred. We want the message to go out there and we'll just continue to do so. Mm. Um, yeah, but it is it is a big problem. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're going to um, sort of like explore in further detail along the line, the fact that the government is actually threatening to bring in new laws a, to about how much um, access you're going to be able to have to social media and also the kind of comments you're going to have to social um, media. Well, let's, let's maybe um, explore that a little bit. But I'm also still really interested in finding out a little bit about each of you, who, who you are, because I think it's very important in the whole conversation about the movement. So could you just give us a little a small snapshot of yourselves, I could maybe try to start with Ugo and how you came to be involved in this protest. So I am, um, I'm an environmental scientist um, and that is what I moved here to, to work in and work as. Um, over the years, I've, I've started um, focusing more on my creative endeavors. I run a clothing company and I curate art and that's what I do full time now. Um, funny enough, uh, the last uh, I'm in the same organization as Leilani and Odwala, and uh, we did an art and activism exhibition at the end of last year. So, you know, we are a community service organization. So, you know, being being involved in social issues is just at the core of what we've always been, um, uh, what we always be- believed in. And getting involved was a no-brainer, I think, for me. Um, uh, we got on the ground to, to join, to contribute our body physically. And, um, and then it was, what else can we do? We saw that, okay, there was a need to, to feed and to sustain the, pro- the protest. How do we make it um, conducive for everyone to, to be here and to use their bodies to physically block the space? How do we keep this going? right and so um, it, it wasn't it was just a natural thing to to get involved I am a Nigerian and and this particular issue affects everyone actually you know regardless of they don't ask you questions of uh, who you are and your background when they stop you in the middle of the night uh, my sister has had an encounter with SARS before you know I can name friends that have had an encounter so it wasn't it wasn't an issue that you would say, oh, it happens outside, it happens beyond me. So it was just a no-brainer to to get involved and to make sure it doesn't fizzle out. And um, yeah, that was that was pretty much it for me. Well, why don't we go to Lani? All right, thank you. So I am not Nigerian. However, my kids are Nigerian, my husband's Nigerian. And to me, this protest is not about being Nigerian. It's, it's, it's something about helping others or identifying with issues that they're having. Uh, This NSARS movement is kind of happening everywhere, right? So it's really about police brutality. We've seen uh, people in different countries protesting about the same issues all over the globe. 
so for me, it was a no-brainer. Um, I'm in HR, which means I'm focused on people. And so this protest was really about people, human rights. So I, I didn't protest every single day, like Ugona and um, Odwala. They were there every single day, I believe. But I believe everyone needs to, to participate one way or another. You don't have to be there protesting. You could be lending your voice, bringing awareness to people. And that's where social media played a huge role, where we were able to, to let people all over the world know what's happening in Nigeria. It's been really eye-opening to know that people in the world are concerned, are worried, and they are trying to do their, their part. They're trying to play their part. Thank you. And Udwala, what's your background? I'm a development professional. I've worked in development for as long as I can remember. I'm very passionate about, you know, education, women's rights, and girl-child um, advancement. So for me, and just like Ugana said, myself and Ugana and Leilani, we all belong to the same organization, and um, we believe in service to all mankind. So it was really, it was really a no-brainer for us to go out there and be at the protest and supporting in any way we could. I remember on the very first day that we were at the protest, you know, we were just there in terms of being physically there and just watching what was going on. But that quickly snowballed into us trying to sustain the protest in any way we could, giving, making sure the protesters had cool drinks, making sure there was food, there was water. And it went from feeding them physically to, you know, feeding their minds, making sure they understood why we were out in the streets, making sure they could see and hear other people's stories, stories of police brutality, stories from people that could not physically be a protest ground where we were in Lagos. But to understand that it's, it's, it's a very um, systematic um, oppression that we're trying to fight. It's a very serious problem of police brutality where people have lost their lives. People, people, have, people have been maimed, people have been extorted, people have suffered all kinds of um, abuse at the hands of the police. So all of you have really made references to effectively putting your bodies on the line. I think you know, there's, a, there's a boundary that's crossed, isn't there, where, where the anger and the conviction is so strong that, that you've all clearly decided to do that. I mean, everyone can sign things on social media and protest and complain and gripe, but, but you've gone to that place where there's, there's a manifest physical protest against this injustice. Um, so we've heard um, about a Lecky Tollgate massacre. Is this something you can tell us about? And, and, um, and is, that, is that an accurate term for it? What, what happened that day at, at Lecky? Um, it depends on who you ask. I'm asking you. But, um, what we believe happened was the government showing that they have complete disregard for constitutional rights of the people that elected them into power. The government showing they do not understand in any way the constitution or how a democracy works. The government showing that they will go to any length to continue to oppress the Nigerian people. The government showing that um, we basically went from colonial masters to political masters and we're still not um, a democracy or free independent people. That's what happened that day. So we had got um, an LED screen at the protest ground to for people to be able to watch and see stories of brutality. And that morning we were working on putting together the you know, the videos and the images that were going to come up on the screen. So that's what we were working on. And I believe I was talking to Ugana. We're trying to plan how we were going to be there that day. And about noon or there, thereabout, the Lagos state government issued a warning saying there was going to be a curfew at four o'clock. And um, myself and the other people, we were working together to put the screen up and the information that was going to be on the screen we felt, okay, there's going to be a curfew. They're just trying to remo remove us physically from the protest ground. So why don't we go and sit in? So we're going to still go to the protest ground. We're going to stay there. We're going to show that we're going to be at this place physically, and we're going to continue to occupy this place until our demands are met. Um, I tweeted at a few people saying I was going to be at the protest ground, and I didn't care what was going to happen. And I will never forget one of the tweets I got. person said, don't go there. We live in Nigeria. This is not a civilized country. I don't even know the person. That's what the person said. That was the tweet. 
Um, and, you know, around one o'clock, still working on the screen because we were still bent on going there. I received, I think, 20 different calls, tweets, and messages saying, don't go out there, don't go out there. But I was still going to go. They sent someone physically to my house, a friend, to, like, stop me and make sure I didn't leave the house. And that location was lucky, is it? So, so is that where the, yeah. where the protest was happening? And that was where you were going to put your screen showing the police brutality yeah. evidence? So we already had the screens there. Right. Um, and that's the only reason why I wasn't there. But there were so yeah. many other people that were there and continued to occupy the place. And from reports and from what we gather from social media, they were peacefully sitting at the, at the toll gate, singing the national anthem, singing songs of solidarity, and just, you know, being young people at a protest ground and about six o'clock the lights went six or seven o'clock the lights went out and the army came started to shoot people died people's bodies were removed from the from the from the place and social media trying to get ambulances out there to pick up the injured pick up the the people that were hurt to get people away from there you had churches opening up their 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 buildings to um hide people you had hotels opening up their buildings you had people from all over the world paying for hotels for people to hide out to make sure that no one else was hurt so that's what we can tell happened there's there's um, footage to back up what I have said, and that's what we're taking as what has happened. There's reports from different arms of the government about what happened. No one seems to agree about what happened, except the Nigerian people. We agree what happened. So it's like an extrajudicial killing on a substantial scale. I don't know scale. if Ugona or Leilani. Yeah. Do you want to add anything to that, Ugona? Yes, I do want to add that I think that there was definitely a bit of naivete on that day. You know, there was a general, you know, consensus. People were trying to spread the word. Don't go out, don't go out. This is Nigeria. They are capable of killing us, right? But, and we've seen it. It's happened all over the country. It, it, it happens in, you know, more remote areas. It happens in areas that don't get as much coverage. And so the naivete I'm referring to is, Lekki is one of the highbrow areas of Lagos. And so, you know, while you knew what your government was capable of, deep down you thought it wouldn't happen in Lekki though, you know? And I feel like the people there, you had some groups of people who it could get worse. It, it means nothing to them, right? Their life is at worst. So they were, they were de more desperate than a lot of other people. And then there were the people who were out there like, no, it couldn't happen in Lekki. You know, we're gonna we're gonna stand up. We're, we're we're singing the national anthem. We're holding the national flag. You know, it's not gonna happen here. So I think there was just you know, different mixtures of people who were desperate, people who were in disbelief that it could ever happen there. And the government showed exactly what they were capable of. On that note, <laughs> we will go to um, uh, Le Le Leilani's first song that she chose for us. Um, we were going to start off with Asha Jayla. So, um, Leilani, why, why did you choose that song? I think the song is appropriate for what we're going through today. It was written years ago, but clearly um, a lot of the context um, applies to what's going on today. Uh, it is talking about jailers and prisoners, but I think it's talking about people in government. I think it's talking about corruption. It's talking about all these people in power are still victims of a failed nation because we have the wrong people in power. Um, so if, if I could, I, could, I just want to read a few verses. It says, um, you suppress all my strategies. You'll press every part of me. What you don't know is you're a victim too, Mr. Jailer. Uh, life is not about your policies all the time. So you better rearrange your philosophies. Be good to your fellow man, Jailer. And I think the song is perfect for what we're going through today. You know. Yeah, like you see, if you walk in, in the marketplace, down trolls, down. Just my hate, one of your own. Life is not about your fall 
So the protest movements always have the best music, don't they? I mean, if you think of the quality of protest songs we hear and compare that to, I don't know, military marching bands, the music of officialdom, you know, it's no contest, is it? So yay for the protest. That's, I think that's one of the reasons why justified protesters know they're right because of the, of the, of the art and music that's produced. So it's, that's wonderful. Thank you. It was, um, I was at, I actually, um, a couple of days before the massacre, I, um, wrote to my MP in in the UK, um, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who is very senior in the, the government. And I said to him, can you please reach out to the Nigerian government? Because the minute they started saying that the army was going to start doing its exercises, it was basically, they were signaling that they were coming after. And I... Um, and I think one of the, this, and I hope it doesn't sound in any way, shape or form as victim um, blaming, but I was alarmed by the stories I was hearing that if people held the Nigerian flag or they were singing the Nigerian songs that they would not be hurt by or fired upon by the Nigerian armed forces. And I was saying, where are they getting this information from? My father-in-law is actually was the military governor for um, Western State, and it's um, there's no such thing. There's no such, but it it took on a whole life of its own. And how do you go about when people start convincing themselves that they found a cloak of safety? How do you go about disabusing them of that notion? Yeah. So in that sense. Um, I think social media did a huge disservice because it gave people a false sense of security that they were going to be safe by showing that they were Nigerians, that they were not trying to bring Nigeria down, they were not secessionists, they were not trying to split Nigeria, that they were very patriotic. But the government, unfortunately, didn't see it and still probably doesn't, I would say, see it that way. So I think it's two things. Um, I think the first is, like Ugona said, we really never thought it would come to that. We really never thought it would come to a point where... The Either you didn't read your history, did you? You didn't read your history. You didn't, you didn't read your history. Yeah, so you I would didn't pay attention. You know, no, so my generation also marched. We also stood, and they did exactly the same thing. Yes, but you need to understand from where we're sitting from. So of all the protests that had been going on all through the country, the Lekki Togate protest was the most peaceful. No one hurt, we had systems in place. So if someone stole something, they were caught, they were apprehended, came back. There was, we were running a little country. There was healthcare, there was security, there was food, everything you could want. In fact, you had more than the protesters at the ground. You had people who were just hungry. So it became some some sort of food kitchen, a, a soup kitchen, where What's you had all kinds of, of people coming to get care of. 
we had thousands of people there it was it was a lot of people all kinds of people different age groups you had the older generation coming out to see what was going on because they really could not believe that these youth held the country and the state ransom because that toll gate is a huge revenue point so it wasn't that we we didn't read our history because that's the other other half of my point it was that there were other places if at um the police forces or the army had to go there were other places they could have gone not well, like okay in, in many ways you actually were more the very fact that you were organized that i mean i saw the videos that there was the ambulances there you had set up your own um, uh, panels of um, solar solar panels to to generate electricity. You were running like a little republic. Did you not see that that was even more threatening? Because the 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 chaos, which is what the government uses to underpin and define um, their uh, high handedness, you were belying it. You were you 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 were you were a very threat. Your the 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 um uh the smoothness with which say um the is it Nigerian feminists for Nigeria um uh the, the way you were getting funds in the way you sidelined them when they tried to um stop cash coming in and you went to start using um sort of Bitcoin all those things were in a way much more terrifying. When you only have rebel, rabble, rabble who are just mindless or seem to be mindless, that is all violence. But when you can show that you can do it better than them, that is much more, I think, I would argue a much more frightening thing than just normal um, uh, protesters. This is real alternative government and governance that you are showing. Yeah, um, you, you, you have a point there, but ultimately for me, it's, that that was what the government was focused on and that's the problem that the government would rather shut us up than address a serious problem for me that's what i don't understand that you rather you know uh send the military to to kill people than look into the system that's actually broken and fix it or address it or you know watch something. something It, they, they have no, they, they, it's not in their interest to fix the system. It's not in their interest to fix the system. It is in their interest to keep it broken. It is in their interest to keep everyone oppressed. It is in their interest for chaos so that they're very small. Uh, they continue to have a very small elite. They, they don't care about the fact that the roads don't work, that there's no electricity. They have their generators. Even the generator business is run. It's a cabal run from within the government. The very yeah. fact that we have even Boko Haram, Boko Haram, there are many allegations were started by members of the government to try and, you know, have reasons to, to um, pump up and to um, uh, the, the, the amount of money that is given to the military. The, the, I think there's a naivete there to think that the government is interested uh, in improving the system. That's, that would be one of the arguments I would I would. I would posit. Tosin, I think your your warning has some wisdom and some depth to it. But I think when there's a clear, massive injustice and there's this motivation to do something about it, and as I understand it, very clear demands have been made. I mean, you've made a very clear set of demands. Would you just run us through those? I'm resolutely glass half full optimistic and I think things can get better. And you have to look at how do things get better and you know how can you effectively press for what you want. You know, this reminds me more than anything else, it reminds me of Tiananmen Square and of the optimism that was in the student protests there. And that we have Chinese people here locally who, who were involved in those protests and they, they had to make the same choices that you and your friends had to make. They said, this protest is going really well. It's really well organized. It's got momentum. Should I go on this night? And of course, you know, the, the history of what happens. And it feels to me like the Nigerian government made a similar call you know that that show of violence would stop you from asking for what mm -hmm. is right and it feels to me in a young maturing democracy the momentum has to be on your side you know you have to prevail and i just hope that when i do, i salute your courage and i hope there's not too much suffering 
in the process of you getting what's right. Would you just run us through those demands, just so we understand what to, what's being asked for? Well, there were five demands. Um, the release of arrested protesters, justice and compensation for families of victims, independent body to oversee prosecution of officers, um, psychological evaluation of disbanded officers b- before redeployment, and the increase of police salaries. They seem very reasonable. I mean, you know, the... Yes. Okay. So that, that, was the, that was the first demand, right? And it was just end this, just scrap this entire unit. Now, the list came out because in a heartbeat, the government was like, oh, yes, SARS is gone. We've got SWAT now. And it was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> when did you get SWAT? <laughs> How did you? And so it just seemed like, okay, okay, you've made enough noise. Yeah, you, it's gone now. Okay, everyone go home. And so we were like, okay, well, clearly we need to be a bit more um, definitive in the, the steps that we want to see. Since you are not going to give us the steps, we will give you the steps. This is what it looks like. Okay. So I take Tosin's point that you're, in a way, you're being more coherent and uh, rational and communicating very effectively. So in that sense, it is more threatening to a, to, to, to a government, the, 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 the better you are at what you do. Yeah, that, that is the, that's the problem. That's why they feel so threatened. That's why they've gone for um, the more, you know, visible um, faces online uh, of the protesters, because, and, and that was a point I wanted to make earlier. What really made this so successful is the fact that as individuals, we have been running our own government, right? We have been supporting ourselves, you know, we're building our boreholes, we're providing, you know, we're paying, getting diesel for the generator. We are so self-sufficient that it was so automatic for everyone to hands on deck what was needed. And something that helped was Twitter because of how rapid um, the responses are. It was very quickly to say, this part of the of this town needs this and it was easy to mobilize people people have so we it's a nation of small business owners and so there was no we were the infrastructure we were the assistance that we needed and we were able to communicate and and work so efficiently there was so much work done in under two weeks right you know the the country is is they they are missing the two weeks of governance you know we showed we could this this country can work and this is how it works and that is what's threatening because now you know we've sort of blown the lid off the whole thing and the government is going for the organizers Mm. right they're going for the people who are uh, showing that this can work and your and your elected leaders have chosen for it to not work in your favor do you, do you see any transition from the movement, the organisation you have, to a conventional political sort of party and uh, gaining a groundswell of support? Is there like a new branded, organised movement emerging? Um, I think I think the answer is yes. Um, unfortunately, there are no leaders in this protest. Um, and I think that may be the next step. You need to mm. find a leader. Um get a party together and move forward. But those are, those are just my thoughts. Um, but right now there is no leader, which, which may be what the, the problem is right now. But William, to add to what um, Leilani has just said, I think one thing the protest did was it woke us up. It woke up a generation that had not politically been awake in, in a sense. And um, even though we don't have one leader, you see, you've, we've seen a lot of organizations start to rise up, a lot of people start to rise up and take responsibility in different aspects. So I don't necessarily think that the fact that there isn't one clear leader, um, I don't necessarily think that that's going to be a problem. What I do think we need to do is to have all these different organizations spring up and attacking the problem from different fronts. Um, we need to rise up as an organized body in a sense where one um, one group is um, you know looking out for the local government elections another group is looking out for the senate another group is looking out at what's going on at the so we're, we're, we're basically splitting responsibilities and making sure everyone is focused on what's important and educating the grassroots and ensuring that there's civic education at all levels actually i i have to say i think it is one of the strengths of the um, movement that there isn't um 
visible, that there aren't visible leaders. Because the old-fashioned way, what they used to do is that once they um, had identified the leaders, they would either um, go there, arrest them, intimidate them, intimidate their families, or they would co-opt them. I love the sense that it was constantly flowing. They didn't know where to look. Who is the leader? And they kept going on, you know, because that's how they thought. I thought it was amazing. I loved it. And I have to say, um, I wanted to say to you, Odua, I beg, do, um, if I came over a bit strong um, before, I apologize. I actually find myself the most energized and the most hopeful that I have been for Nigeria in over 20 years. Um, because of this movement, it has made, is crystallized my desire to actually return home. Because now the youth, we, you are, we are awake again. You know, we were like in a slumber. You know, we, we, we were allowing them to just keep pushing us in, in, in one direction. I have a, a, a soon to be 20 year old or, you know, in a year's time, whatever. And I, and I want her to come and live in Nigeria. I wanted to come and take up a place in Nigeria. But before this moment, she just looked at me like, you must be mad. Um, but now I can say, look, there are people like you who are fighting for a better Nigeria, for a better future. You guys actually make me feel incredibly hopeful. It seems a really, really good time to introduce Rise Up by Andra Day. Her career was basically created online. I don't right. know it. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day. I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid. I'll rise up, and I'll do it a thousand times again. You, For that we have each other song that um, we can all relate to um, after the protests or even yeah before and after the protests um, she talks about rising up do not be afraid when it's getting hard to breathe and I know you feel like dying but I promise we'll take the world to its feet and move mountains we'll bring it to its feet and we will move mountains the song is actually just really pretty um, it is and I loved the video um, and the video of the the video is of a young um, couple, um, one of whom appears to be a paraplegic and the love between them. And one of the many, uh, I think one of the most significant parts of the video is that you keep expecting her to signal to the screen or to the world in some way that she is tired, mm -hmm. that she is, um, that she is, the, the, the burden is too heavy and yet she never does you keep waiting she she's a beautiful young woman who gets approached by other people to tempted you know able-bodied and yet the love the commitment remains it's it's it is it is as it says rise up and it is very uplifting thank you very much for introducing us to that following up i'm really intrigued by what tosin said about um being inspired by what you're doing to the extent that for the first time she would think of going back to Nigeria. Have you had support from the diaspora? Have, have people been in touch who, uh, fr fr from around the world and supported what you're doing? 
Um, honestly, the support from the diaspora was particularly um, instrumental in the success of the protests. Um, I don't even think we anticipated that much support, but there was so much financial support. It got to a point where people, including me, were redirecting funds. I'm, I'm okay. I don't need any more. Send it to this organization. Send it to this person. I know this person organizing here. And even after the protest, even after the um, events of the 20th, people were still, what, what's next? Where do I send my money? You know, I, I think that what is key for us now who are on the ground is to identify several candidates for the different positions. Um, low hanging fruit, what are the, what are the positions that we are likely um, able to win and to be able to then, um, you know, communicate that to the diasporans. These are the candidates that we want to back. These are the issues. These are the steps that we want to take. You know, the diaspora has been so, so instrumental. And it's honestly, that's really what helps us keep going because we know, okay, there is a reservoir of support and of funding because at the end of the day, we're dealing with a corrupt government that has looted the nation, the biggest looters. So they've got so much money on their side. And at the end of the day, the elections becomes a money game. Um, so it's good to, to even though there are some fights that we know when there's some battles we're not going to win, but it is encouraging knowing that we can put up a good fight. There are enough of us across the globe willing to support. And uh, for me, that is one thing that has been the most um, inspiring and, and encouraging, because I know that if I put together a plan, if I put together an organization, there are a ton of people who are willing to back me. Um, and obviously, that's a very hopeful thing. And I, and again, I think that's 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 amazing. That's wonderful. And I hope that you will also um, try to engage the younger diasporans as well, so that they can feel that they can bring whatever skills that they have, not in the way of savior, but just to come and join, just to come somewhere, and you know, they they can also make their primary home. Um, one of the things that I've noticed that apart from the fact that the government willfully threw thugs into several of the demonstrations so to have an excuse to come in um, to, um, to restore order, um, I've noticed that the separatists like Namdi Kanu, Alainka Granson, have tried, are starting to try to hijack this conversation. What, do you, what are you guys going to do to try and stop them? Assuming, I'm assuming that you want to stop them. Oh, we do want to stop them. Um, a divided Nigeria will never work. We're not, um, we want Nigeria to work, not as separate nations on its own, but as one nation because we're stronger together. We believe that having one voice and speaking one message is the only way to fix the problem. Um, the there's no there's no future for a divided nigeria i strongly believe that so we do want to stop them we want to continue to put out the message that it is not a division of nigeria or a separation of nigeria that will work it's a one united nigeria all of us being conscious of our, our separate biases towards different races different genders different cultures different whatever it's not a divided Nigeria. It's not Muslims versus Christians or the Yorubas or the Igbos or the Hausas versus one another. It's one Nigeria against one enemy and that enemy is bad governance and that's what we need to end. I, I must say again, one of the things that I found really uplifting is that I saw that there were people that um, on the LGBTQ plus sort of spectrum who were marching with um, in, in the protests. And knowing the sort of historic xenophobia, I'm sorry, not xenophobia, but um, what do you call it? Homophobia. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was uplifting. It was uplifting. Um, you know, and it's, you know, hopefully it will be, you know, there's this, it came across as if you were all trying to say that nobody should be left behind. That aspect really intrigues me about your movement because I've not been to Nigeria, but I think of it as a country of many, many ethnicities and, and you know, twice as many languages. So a huge sort of uh, diverse melting pot. And if your movement uh, embraces 
the different ethnicities and different faiths and says it's really not about any of this um, identity politics. It's about uh, a youthful, optimistic, working for justice and human rights against a, a, a corrupt, self-serving elite. It is very inspiring, that. And yeah. so do, do, you, is it, do you find, is there, is there a breadth of different um, ethnic, ethnicities and faiths in, in amongst you and amongst the protesters? Absolutely. Um, the protest was proof that one Nigeria could work. Um, protest was proof that a united Nigeria could work and stand against um, any opposition. Um, I remember the very first day myself and Uganda went to the protest. Shortly after we got there, it seemed like the police were gearing up in their riot gear to attack. And the one thing you heard was everybody, they just kept saying to make a straight line, to stand, not to kneel, that if we stand together, lock our arms together, they're not going to attack us. And that's exactly what happened. You saw people run into the front lines. And you also at the protest where on Fridays, the Muslims prayed and the Christians and everybody else you know, surrounded them and gathered them to make sure that. And on Sunday, while we heard, while we held church service or we had mass, you saw the Muslims even participating in everything that was going on and just keeping watch. So we're showing that um, one Nigeria could work. One Nigeria is possible if we all just work together. You see, we saw that a lot of the protest messages were translated into different languages to ensure that everybody in Nigeria could, you know, be be a part of it. You. So it's it's possible, and we're we're yeah. just trying to demonstrate that to the government, to the separatists, to everyone, that we want a united Nigeria. We just want a working yeah. united Nigeria. Ugona and Amudwala, isn't it significant just the two of you? The fact that one is Igbo from your name, and the other one is Yoruba, that is exactly you know you are living embodiments of what you are trying to achieve. And I think it sort of um, shouldn't really overlooked. I also heard uh, an Igbo man say that for the, he has lived in Lagos for like 30 years. And during the protest was the very first time he ever felt welcome in Lagos. Yes, yes. That is one thing I, I wanted say. to cry. Yeah, that's one thing I can say about the protest itself. The protest grounds itself was such a welcoming place. Everyone showed up as themselves, show up as yourself. There were people who came to pray and speak in tongues and bless the protest. There were people who came and prayed with the Quran. There were people, there were LGBTQ, you know, showed up because there is not one face of the Nigerian. There isn't a type of Nigerian that deserves rights. There isn't a type of Nigerian that deserves, you know, to be protected. And so we all came unified. And when we started having, you know, some messages of um, division, of tribalism and things like we counted that so quickly. And that is the benefit of social media. The same way we got that information, we sent it right back to them. We recorded WhatsApp messages saying, do not listen to that. We, we tweeted, we posted, we are united. This is not true. Obviously there were some planted stories. Uh, it is the Igbos that are, that, that are inciting the violence. And, and one end you heard it was the houses that were doing it. But at the, at the same time, we were putting out counteracting um, facts. This is not true. If you see this, don't repost it. Report this account. But, you know, and, and it worked because it, at no point did it degenerate into a tribalism religion affair. And they tried really hard. And that's why now the social media bill is, is back on the floor. They're debating, um, they're debating regulating the internet, regu regulating social media, because they saw the power of our interconnectedness and to, to be able to combat, you know, all the different tactics that they were using. What I wanted to say, I mean, it's just been wonderful to meet you all. I'm really grateful to you all for making making the time. I think what you're doing is is so hard, but it's so important. I, you know, you're in a maturing democracy which has got multiple challenges. There's obviously huge economic challenges, there's security challenges, particularly in the North. Uh, and I think what you're doing is, is just the most important thing. You know, I think you're focused on exactly the right thing. And I just salute your courage and energy and, and, and the aspirations you have. And for myself, and I hope it goes for people who listen to this, I just feel much, much better connected now to you and what you're trying to do, you know, across continents and, and divides and, and, and cultures and so forth. So I'm, I'm really grateful to have spent that time together. Thank you very much. I'd, I'd like to sort of get a final word from each one of you, if that's okay. 
Um, should we start with Ugona? Um, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is such a great um, discussion. Uh, final word for me is that, you know, I think that this time does feel different. Um, we are doing our best as well to educate, to go back into, as you know, history is not in our curriculum anymore. So you cannot even really fault that it's, yeah, it was taken out. You can't fault so many people for not having that um, that knowledge. And, and we're doing that. I've seen, you know, several posts of um, protests of Nigeria in the past, re-educating people, because that sort of information is what energizes people. And of course, your oppressors don't want you to be energized. Um, but I do think that I'm very encouraged. Um, I think that we have shown that we've always known that we were capable, but we, we now know that we are ready. And um, we everyone has taken up the mantle. Everyone has seen a gap and found out a way to fill it using your skills. The tech community is building apps and websites every day, right? We've got the, the, the chefs are, are working on food banks and, you know, there's just so many different ways in which people are showing up to do the work. And, and it feels as though, you know, we really are the ones that we've been waiting for. And there is no other option but to keep fighting. And I'm, I'm encouraged to see some progress, um, even, even in the, within the next election. I think that it's important for us to um, take as many wins as, as possible and use that to fuel us to keep going. Thank you. So the beautiful ones have been born. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, Odua. For me, um, said the best. We are the ones we've been waiting for. And I just want to see in Nigeria where our unified voices are no longer seen as a threat to democracy, but instead as an expression of it. Um, and we are going to continue to protest. We're going to continue to fight. Um, even though we're no longer in the streets, we've just moved the streets into different streets. We're finding different ways to protest where we're ensuring that we're safe, but we're not silent. And Leilani? Um, I think it's a new day. Um, I'm really encouraged by uh, the young Nigerians who are trying to make a difference. They want a better Nigeria for themselves. Um, but Africa is also looking to Nigeria. This is a, a, a really um, important time um, in the history. And we really are looking to Nigeria to make that difference um, because <laughs> we're, we're right behind Nigeria, you know? Um, and yeah. We just pray for peace in Nigeria and unity. Okay, I will ask you all, um, uh, a question before um, put you on the spot a little bit. We had a WhatsApp conversation, and in that you spoke about your fear of Nigeria. Now, um, has this conversation in any way changed your mind? Has it changed my mind? Um, I don't know if going to America is, is, is the best decision right now. <laughs> we don't know who the president is. Um, so I'm wearing my shirt. I don't know if you can see it. Hey. Anti-Trump, yes. Yes, yes. yes. anti-Trump AF. Um, Why should you be against a sort of sexist crook who's a Russian spy and a money launderer? I, I don't get it. <laughs> Another story for another day. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's not go there. Yeah, it's been enjoyable let's not Let's not go about there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Toyin, honestly, I, I, I don't know what I'll be doing. I just feel like right now it's think, things are quite shaky in Nigeria. Um, okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for uh, all of you. Thank you all for agreeing to come and share your thoughts and your experience with us. And as I said before, I feel very uplifted. I am Uluwatosi Unileri. I'm William Heath. Our guests have been Uduola, Ugona and Leilani from Lagos in Nigeria. This has been In Our City, streaming as if from the palace of His Imperial Majesty Haile Selassie I. We are done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank us. You.